welcome to The Knowing Podcast. We're here to talk about healing, about insight, about cultivating and living from our own internal wisdom, and about the intention to live beautifully and compassionately as a human being during these times. We're really happy you're here. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to... um, episode two of season two it's kind of funny to have like two seasons now sort of I feel like we're really pros in this game somehow we've we've gone to the next level but um how are you doing Allison good morning good morning I'm I'm doing good um yeah I'm yeah I well I feel like uh we're a little rocked because we just found out um a couple of days ago about the passing of Ruth Bader Ginsburg here. And mm. um, I did want to kind of speak to that because last episode was about death and that initiatory process. And we recorded that mm. before this happened, of course, but it feels like mm-hmm. a, a big death has happened in this country in terms of um, everything we were talking about last week, that it's like, well, what now? This was kind of someone who was holding... Yeah who who we felt was holding on for us, who was holding on to a lot of the justices that we've um, been granted in this country mm-hmm. in terms of women's rights. Um, so there's so much she's done. But I, I feel like um, there's a lot of fear now around what now. And um, since it's a lifelong held position, there's this fear of like, well, who will replace her? And whoever replaces her goes beyond whatever this next presidency is. It's like this is going to really affect the country in a generational way. Um, and that feels Absolutely. scary. Yeah. It's such an interesting thing. I mean, being Canadian, you know, and, and certainly so it doesn't have the the same bearing, although there is a an influential force that is just sort of innate in, in the way that U.S. politics operates in terms of echoes out through the world. And also that I lived in the States for a long enough time to understand, you know, who she was and, and what she had contributed and and also the anxiety around her not being there. And I mean, especially... Uh, exiting this dimension, you know, at right at this moment, you know, at this very yeah. pivotal political moment, and and it is, you know, as as you were alluding to this this experience that we have when we when we let go or when something leaves, you know, and the the certainty, what we felt was certainty and security and a type of groundedness, um, is is no longer there, you know, and and it's almost like you know. Not that I've ever been a trapeze artist, but like you're a trapeze artist and you're swinging and you, you've you let go of one, um, whatever they're called, bars or something, and you have not yet found the next one and you're floating, you're flying, you know, and, and you're in this like suspended kind of state where you don't know where you're going to land, you don't know what it's going to look like. And, and Pema Chodron talks about this a lot, you know, and she says, in these moments, we scramble for ground. Mm-hmm. And the way that we find ground unfortunately or realistically as human beings a lot of the time is is to find some sort of construct of mental surety you know and one of the ways we do that is by uh, vilifying people we start focusing on a very tribal kind of experience of going oh my god those bad people and and this is or you know our fear-based mindsets goes into like catastrophizing the circumstance about what these bad people are going to do and and you know it, it is a way that 
you know, our brain is trying to anticipate and therefore it thinks mitigate somehow the pain that might come in the future. Mm, yes. But in reality, what we do by that kind of psychological mechanism is, is completely deplete this moment of any possibility of peace or happiness, right? And we don't actually mitigate the future pain. I mean, if there's some justice who gets in who's just a, a, a you know, rather unpleasant character, you know, that's not going to be made less painful by worrying about it right now, right? right. And yet we do that all the time. And that that is this... Um, I mean, kind of a, a sickness, if you will, not 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 meaning to pathologize us or anything, but it is a, a way that our mind works that we need to take um, careful attention and, and give careful attention to, to recognize, like, what are we doing there? You know, we are not helping the situation and and we're allowing our minds to run amok into this, this fear-based scenario, right? Mm-hmm. And it's, I mean, the bravery, the the awareness and the consciousness that it takes to actually sit in this state of not knowing and not seek ground. Actually enjoy if we can, but at least first, maybe the first step being to just pay attention to um, the sensations that are in this circumstance, right? This this in-between state holds our unresolved emotional experiences, and I'll say that again, that our in-between state holds our unresolved emotional experiences. So in here, we're going to be feeling all this, you know, what, what Chagrin Trumpa called it, our ubiquitous anxiety, this background kind of buzzing all the time. When our surety and our ground is gone and pulled out from underneath us, we have to face that entirely, right? It's there. It's it's no longer, we can't run away from it. We can't go, oh no, she's still there, so we're safe. You know, that's pulled out and then we've got to feel it. It's always been there. Right. It's, it's never not been there. And and in these moments of initiatory death processes, you know, losses, we can face it. And, and we have the capacity to face it, feel it fully, and let it go. And then it's not actually going to be this background motivating sensation or energy, you know, that we're never really fully um, acknowledging, right? And we're always kind of running from, I mean, as you and I've talked about a lot, Alison, that this is a basis of modern society is the desire to not feel things. Mm-hmm. It's not that we're actually conscious and moving towards something. We're trying to avoid feeling something. And and that's not a very intelligent, I mean, I mean this with no disrespect to the entire populace, but it's not very intelligent, you know, to like be like, I don't want to feel this, so I'm going to just keep running from it, right? Right. So we're being we're being called to task in a sense, um, and and we're being pulled into these sensations, and and it's again, you know, as we keep talking about, we can't get away from them, and this is a good thing. It's not fun, it's not pleasant, but it is a very good thing. It means that we're ready for a mass transformation. So, well, I'm curious if this is kind of like really we're getting to the root of that of non attachment, where it's mm. like I can act, but. I'm not worried or tied to the outcome. It's just like mm-hmm. listening to you say that and thinking about, um, you know, death, both literal death and figurative death is, is that is why Buddhism is so focused on death and dying is because it's like you have to make peace with, I might die all the time. Not only I might die, I will die. And. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I feel like that always felt super literal to me. And in some way, I'm like, yes, I, I know I will die one day because this is totally, where we're all going out. Totally. But 
I, I think that it's like being okay with figurative deaths um, has mm-hmm. been something that it's like we don't even look like. That it's like, you know what, this country might be something that I personally don't think that it, quote, should be. And it's like, well, that's mm-hmm. a death that I have to be able to look at. That's a possibility. Mm-hmm. And, um, de- you know, not letting my animal brain tell me that that will end me. Yes, totally. Although it might. <laughs> and that, <laughs> but this, you know, uh, this is what we were talking about in the last episode around surrounding our beliefs and, you know, these ideas and stories that we tell ourselves about existence. Um, I mean, one of the ones that I was thinking about a couple days ago, you know, that I didn't include in the the addendum that I offered at the end in terms of like some specific questions to practice on, uh, to reflect on, is um, the question of what I would call, you know, transpersonal reality or uh, or beyond lifetime reality is that we, if we believe that this is all there is, and at the the death point, you know, we are no longer anything. We just uh, dissolve into nothingness, right? There is a, an, a, an enormous amount of pressure that we're going to put on this lifetime, you know, mm-hmm. and and accomplishing what we think we should do, and and the sense of like, you know. Um, intensity that we have to apply to this life and and paradoxically I think at the same time when we don't think of ourselves as a continuous um, process you know with the entire system we're also I think not going to take things very seriously at all you know there's a sort of nihilism that comes in where you're just like eh, you know I'm here for a good time not a long time sort of (laughs) thing you know and like (laughs) I'm give a rat's ass about like what happens to the the mountains and the trees and stuff because right. I'm not thinking of myself as being connected to a larger process right and that is a belief you know and and I mean I I will maintain that you look at the research around reincarnation it is a huge body of research and very well constructed empirical you know data to suggest that it is a very real thing that that reincarnation occurs for people and for beings you know and this is something that I know to be true for me, I believe it also because it it is a a foundation, um, a foundational belief that I feel allows me to uh, contemplate death in a different way. It is not the end of me; it is the birth of me in a new experience, right? And so there's this loss of a a linear time frame, which you know our left logical, very kind of masculine brain loves it. We're going from A to B, and it. See, we're dead, and there's no more of us, you know. And I just, <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't want to think that, and I don't think that it's even reasonable, you know, because I, I remember sitting in physics ten class, and there's a few moments in my early academic experience that, like, I really blew my mind. But at this like super crotchety old physics teacher, but he would sit at the front of the room and like basically not say anything to us, and then he'd like put a few things on the board. But one day he wrote up there. Nothing, no energy is either created nor destroyed. Mm. And I sat in class and I remember thinking like, what? Like, how is that possible? (laughs) Like, you know, like things are, everything that is here has always been here. And Mm. everything that is here will always be here. So we are part of a continuous process. There is, there's no leaving, you know, and and where are you going to go? You know, there's no going to anywhere else that you could go to. You're you're here. This is part of this entire energy system. And so it really, uh, I, I approach my life that way. And that's why I think that deaths can, can be diffused of the, um, 
the the dire intensity I think that we will uh, approach them with if we're thinking in that very linear kind of um, way and infused with this sense of potential. You know, every death is a birth. Every every mm. loss is a space of potential. You know, and. Um, I mean, my teacher would always say, you know, you have to be careful when you pull something out because whatever's in there, whatever's available and around is going to slide right in there as fast as possible. This is like, you know, if you give somebody a round of antibiotics, you kill off the majority of their microbiome in their intestine, whatever is ready to slide in there is is going to go in there. And, mm-hmm. and this is, you know... Um, the idea of of us readying ourselves for this process so that as this system dies, the thing that's ready to go in and take over is not some crazy ass totalitarian oligarchy or some crazy form, you know, like, or some destructive system. Like we have to be ready to say, okay, let's go. Let's look at education. Let's look at agriculture. Let's look at medicine, you know, and these people, like we're all ready. We we are actually ready for this, you know, but what we have to do now is, is ready ourselves for the actual death process. And it's happening. You can't, we can't stop it. Right. Yeah. It feels like it. Mm -hmm. Totally. It's a it's a big process, um, but yeah, very meaningful. And it, you know, you said something in there, and I'm trying to recall how you framed it, Alison, but it really pertained to um, what we wanted to talk about today, which is uh, water. And I I sent Allison yeah, a couple pages of notes a, a few weeks ago, mostly scrambled at some three thirty in the morning, and probably completely <laughs> incoherent of like this is what we're going to do, and it <laughs> makes total sense to me. And thankfully, she has this. I, you generally kind of understand what I'm saying, which I, I'm always impressed with, even when I'm totally incoherent. I was trying to break down, you know, how do we build this. Um, uh, really what feels like, you know, this resilience in ourselves and how, and what are the core pieces? And it's like, it's like building a house, you know, and, and we don't want this house to be the rigid, you know, armored sort of uh, house-like structure uh, that the ego can be at times, you know, which is more of a uh, protection mechanism and stuff. This is, this is um, the bones of our of our whole experience of existence, right? And and saying, how do we build those? And what do you need to lay down first, right? Beliefs, I think, are, are our first layer. And the second layer, as strange as it seems, is, uh, or maybe it doesn't seem strange to people, um, is water. And this is really traditionally, in all of the lineages that I've been taught in, this is the, the first step, is looking at our relationship to water because it is the yin, you know, and as I've referenced in previous episodes that in the Taoist tradition, you know, the teachings are that you don't do anything until you've sorted out the yin. And the yin Mm -hmm. is receptivity and clarity and connection to the inner self um, and, and searching within our, you know, inner self and really looking at ourselves and being, um, still, you know, before we move into action. And, and this is how we've, we've got it kind of asked backwards in modern society. We go into action and then think we're going to get surrender and stillness after we've done enough action, you know, and you're like, no, you're you're definitely not. I've never done that. You know, like it's not, we don't find 
that kind of pot of gold at the end of all of our doing that our mind says, oh yeah, at the end of this, you're going to be able to relax and feel good about yourself and everything's going to be fine. You know, it's not the way it goes. We don't, we don't find that ever, that it is an ever moving target, of course. And so we practice instead saying, how do we come into this moment? So that's what I really wanted to offer in terms of the, the teachings around water. Any reflections on that from you, Alison? Um, well, I mean, I feel like water has been entering a lot just in terms of like, I've been, I've been dreaming about water a lot. I'm talking mm-hmm. to people, they're dreaming about water a lot. Like, um, mm-hmm. there, there are these like raging fires happening, which it's like, all we need is water, which feels very symbolic. Um, but I think that it is this kind of elusive, like, I think that it's like, you know, you hear the be like water, my friend, all of that stuff. And it's just like, well, that Mm -hmm. sounds beautiful. And I also don't have any idea how to do that. (laughs) Totally. Totally. Well, you know, maybe as a step one or as a sort of entry point into this relationship with water as an elemental being, you know, and the elementals, are, were a really strange thing for me in the the lineage that I was actually initiated into, you know, and my teacher would speak to me like I just somehow should understand what she was talking about when she was like, you know, the elementals. I'm like, I don't know, like the the tiny people? Like what what is an <laughs> elemental, you know? And and it was it was such an abstract concept. And it it really requires um I think a an engagement with our imaginative, very childlike mind to start playing with these concepts, you know, because we are um, in really anthropomorphizing um, substances and and energies, you know, that we've never thought of as having a spiritual quality to them, or, or very few people think of as having a spiritual quality. I mean, you don't you don't think about generally the spirit of water, right? Mm-hmm. It's it's a substance. It's two molecules of hydrogen and a molecule of oxygen. And so we don't imbue it with this spiritual energy. And yet, again, in the the lineages that I've I've been taught in, you know, the the first step in in making life sacred is making water sacred because water is life, you know, and and this practice of making something sacred, you know, is is something that I think um, as modern humans is something to really think about, you know, is, is what are we making sacred in our worlds? And I had this Buddhist teacher years ago who said, um, you know, when we make, so we, we, when we give something our attention, we make it sacred, right? And so when you think about that, what, what is sacred in our lives is, you know, our gadgets or our social media platforms or, or the things that we hate, you know, a lot of the time we're giving them a lot of attention and actually making them sacred, which I don't think is necessarily a bad thing, but I think we've missed out on acknowledging the, the core sacred elements and, and substances and, and realities as human beings, right? And, and water is the first one. We cannot live without it. And, you know, what we do to water around the world, you know, is, is, is just astounding, you know, and, and treating our water like it is this thing that's always going to be there, you know, I mean, much like we mm-hmm. treat other aspects of the earth, you know, but, but that we've totally disconnected from it as being absolutely fundamental to life. Um, I was talking to a, an elder from one of the communities here recently, and she was, she just kept saying, you know, and it was really wonderful to hear it repeated several times. And she was like, the water is our blood, 
you know, and, and it's an interesting thing when you think about that is like extending your body out into the environment that the water is, is your blood, you know, and, and the, the blood of the earth in a sense, but like that we want to be treating the water like we would treat the, the bloodstream of a, you know, an organism that we'd care deeply for. We're not going to put shit in there, you know, but we right. do it all the time. And we're we're constantly not attending to that that sacred quality of the water. So that is like a, a first thing, you know, when we work with elementals, um, I've found that the kind of doorway in for me is always thinking about how grateful I am to that um, energy, right? To think about when you take a glass of water, how often do you actually stop and say thank you and actually, you know, engage with the water, not as just a resource, you know, or something that just pops out of the tap magically for you, mm-hmm. you know, but like thinking about it as this, this life-giving source, right? And I think that when we do that, when we actually engage with it from that receptive, grateful space, um, it it hydrates us differently, you know, and and I wanted to offer it, and this is really biochemical in nature, but like, you know, I'd say that 99 to almost 100% of the people I work with, um, let's get really numerical here, uh, about 50% of their problems, this is, I love, I love, I do this all the time, and <laughs> sorry, just as an aside, I'm constantly like saying shit, like, and my husband's like, oh, really? Like, that's how much it would be? Like, you, you, and I'm making these like ridiculous assessments, and this is about 12% of the time this is going to be happening. So, but about, you know, for, let's say 100% of people that I work with, 50% of the challenges that they're working with um, or trying to work through are related to their hydration. Mm. That they're either not drinking enough water or they're drinking horrible water that is dead, you know, because we've been treating our water so poorly. Like our, our water is, it's an alive, you know, energetic force and and you treat it with enough chemicals and stuff and it is dead. You know, it, it, it you can't even give it to your house plants. It'll really right. hurt them. And so the, the 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 cells, you know, our cells are constantly dehydrated and, and we can't do anything properly if we're dehydrated. And this is, again, why I wanted to offer this as one of the first steps is we need to be drinking water, but we also need to be engaging in a psychological and emotional way with that water. You know, not just drinking and then kind of, you know, not, not relating to it. We want to be asking the water to teach us right now how to be like water because you mentioned the fires, Allison, and water and fire, I think I've referenced this before, are the two driving forces of this this initiation, okay? Right. And um, Heraclitus, you know, and the Greeks, they believe that our soul is created of water and fire, and we need to learn how to work with both of those. And water is the feminine and fire is the masculine, you know, and yeah, we're going to see a lot of wire, water and a lot of fire in the next while, and we're going to be talking about fire in a future episode, but water is the most important energetic um, quality to be able to embody, connect with, understand, and call upon so that we can move through these processes well. Does that make sense? It does. But I'm curious when you talk about most or, or half of your clients' issues really are rooted in their kind of dehydration. And I, I think that there yeah. is an element where it's like, you know, we all kind of know, drink water, drink more water. We're probably not drinking enough water. I'm going to try to drink more mm-hmm. water today, that kind of thing. But it's like, what are the actual, how might you look at your life and see, oh, this is, a, this can be attributed to my lack of drinking water. That isn't totally. just like a physical yeah. thing. Well, and I, I think that, you know, um, 
It would depend on who you talk to. Your standard kind of Western practitioner doctor would say like, oh, look at the color of your pee, you know, and you're going to see that you're dehydrated if you've got super dark pee and, um, you know, some if your skin's dry, your eyes are dry and stuff like those really classical symptoms of dehydration. Um, are you familiar with Dr. Zach Bush, Allison? No. He's, I think he's like, he's just an amazing practitioner. He's, he's one of the most wonderfully uh, holistic and wise minds, I think, existing on the planet right now. And he has this very, he's just an incredible way of synthesizing, um, of, you know, Western medical perspective with kind of larger spiritual and and integrative principles around health and, and well-being. And he's got a lot of focus. He puts a lot of focus on the microbiome and healing the gut and looking at, you know, sustainable arc- agriculture and stuff. Um, but he's also done a substantial amount of uh, work with hydration and looking at what happens, you know, when when we're drinking water, but the water's not getting into our cells and versus when we're when we're taking water in and it's actually getting into our cells. And I'm going to see if I can explain this in a meaningful way. But when we drink water, um, you know, it, it's going into your throat and into your stomach and stuff that sometimes can go right through people. And it's, they can be drinking water, but either the water is, you know, of a not so great quality or that person's cells, Zach Bush maintains that their cells have lost the ability to actually pull the water in. And to make a spiritual analogy, okay, this might be a little bit complicated, but bear with me. Water is the experience, the energetic experience of flow of equanimity, of being able to meet what is and say, okay, moving through this, moving with this, you know, and being receptive to this, all of those feminine qualities, right? I think that when we think about those things, our mind, when we just think about them, our mind could go, yeah, yeah, I'm totally receptive. Yeah, yeah, no, like I'm, I'm, I'm meeting this moment and, and I've got this like amazing ability to, to have equanimity. And then like something out of left field happens and we close down, right? Because we're not actually, we're not internalizing that spiritual quality of receptivity and flow. Um, it's not getting into our cellular matrix in a sense, if that makes sense. Okay. And I feel like we are focusing too much on thinking about these spiritual qualities. You know, I think a lot of the time, like thinking about flow and being okay with things like we, we say we are, but then when something happens that we're not okay with, you know, we immediately barricade and this is very natural and, and automatic, you know, but this is not letting that water into ourselves, if that makes sense. And a lot of people that I work with, and and Zach Bush teaches this too, that, you know, we're drinking water, but it's not actually getting into our cells. And, And what happens there, his research suggests that, you know, then your mitochondria, which is these basic, you know, energy producing and communicative um, structures within the cells, they're not getting hydrated. So you're exhausted all the time. You don't have motivation. Mm. You can't detoxify. So you can't actually release things. I mean, water lets us let go of stuff, right? Which is a primary component of a death and grieving process, right? We're going to grieve through this process. Water is essential for grieving. And so how do we get that, how do we internalize that energy and that spiritual sort of practice, if you will, you know, and also get water into ourselves in a meaningful way so that we're really 
flowing with life, especially, and, and very difficult to do this right now, you know, at a time when there is so many things that it's very easy to go, no, I don't want that to happen. Like, I don't want Ruth Bader Ginsburg to die. I don't, I don't want that, you know, and, mm. but we are not going to serve ourselves or this process by doing that right now. We have to be in a, a flow state. This does not mean that we're like, oh, I don't give a shit. That's great. Yeah. See you later. You know, like we're grieving, we're, we're moving, you know, and, and experiencing things as they're happening, but we're not, we're not holding on. Does that seem fair? It does seem fair. I think that the challenging thing is that we don't really learn how to grieve. We don't really know how to actually. God, no. We learn how to just like shake it off. It's going to be okay. Um, yeah. And, and kind of keep moving. And I think that that's, we, we immediately jump to action. And I noticed that even with her passing, yeah. and I think it's necessary that it's kind of like, okay, well, what's next? What's next? How do we, how do mm-hmm. we move now? How can we vote and do this and that and this and that? And I, I think those are all necessary things, but it's just like, you know, we never stop even for a moment just to grieve. And I think it's in part because totally. how do we begin? And, and once you start, <laughs> you want to grieve for everything because mm-hmm. there's a lot but to grieve. But see that, you know, there is a lot to grieve, but the, the even the suggestion that we do not have the capacity to grieve all that has occurred or that we're going to stay stuck there, I think is a primary mechanism of kind of control from the, the, the vestiges of our colonial kind of, you know, backbone or our, our upbringing, right? Is colonized mind hates grief, right? It, mm-hmm. it, doesn't, it doesn't like the tenderness of the feminine quality, right? Which is to say, okay, so let's stay here. Let's, let's abide in this suffering, you know, and not immediately move into action. We are, we are okay with suffering. We're good at this. We actually are very good at grieving. We've just been conditioned by a society that didn't want to do it. And so decided, hey, we're, we're going to push it all down and we're going to pretend it's not here. And we're just going to keep charging forward in this very massive masculine way and not attending to, you know, what has actually been occurring and the suffering that's actually happened, right? But we are actually, we are capable of doing it and and it doesn't suck us into some deep, dark hole that we're never going to get out of, right? We we learn to grieve in the moment as as we move, you know, through life, right? That yes, life is death and, and there's this fluidity that we can get into kind of relationship with, you know, but it does take a willingness to step out of those um, colonial conditions and actually say, okay, so can I let myself be still and not move into action right now while a death or a loss has occurred? Can I be still? And I have this wonderful friend, um, Tara Nicole Nelson. She's a, a spiritual teacher and just awesome woman in San Francisco. And she put out this post um, about... I can't remember how she framed it, but it was like, are you scared about RGB? You know, here's some points. And and it was like, it's okay. Like, and and not it's okay. Like this isn't something we need to deal with. But she was really speaking to this this practice of of feminine awareness of of staying still, grieve, let yourself be present to the pain of this moment mm. before we move into action. Because it is when we are not present to that pain and we're immediately going into, oh, okay, now what are we going to do? That the pain doesn't, 
it doesn't just disappear. It gets stuffed down. And it's like, well, we'll deal with that later. Right. right. And this is this is what I mean by the reckoning is that like this we we don't have anywhere to put our pain anymore. We filled up every possible jug in the house with all of our pain and it's time to look at it now, you know, and bring it forth. And we are ready for this. We are good at this, but we need help, you know, and we need to re-engage with the tools that help us do this grieving work, which is, you know, water and being hydrated. And I, I know it seems kind of inane in a sense as a practice, but like really consciously focusing on making sure that you're getting enough water and that you are emotionally and psychologically engaging with that water when you drink, that it is something that you are asking for support. The elementals are so important for our core resilience, mm-hmm. you know, is that the the mountains, you know, and we're not going to specifically teach speak to this, I don't think in these series, but the mountains, you know, teach us this timelessness of, of solidity and stability, yet also, you know, they adapt, they, they erode, you know, but the, the wind teaches us something else. The fire teaches us something that the fungus, we're going to have an episode on that, you know, because it's super important to be exploring mycelial consciousness right now, but the water is is teaching us how to grieve and we need to reclaim that that is that is critical to mm. establishing a new type of society that isn't trying to put all their sadness away and then you know looking for some sort of panacea when it all comes bubbling up and we go oh my god I'm having a major depressive episode well yeah because you know, and, and Gabor Mate, I was listening to him this week and he was saying, you know, what is what is it to depress something? It's to push it down. That's what depression is, is right. we've been pushing it down. And now it's like, hello, like you can't you can't avoid me anymore. Right. Mm. It's funny because it's like there really is this parallel with how we deal with our grief and how we deal with water. And I think that I mean, part of yes. it for me, at least, is that it's like I have the privilege of growing up where there's running water, I can take a shower whenever I want. Um, And I think that there is this element that it's like, how many times do I wash my hands a day and never think about the fact that I am touching something so ancient and um, so such a massive part of the earth, my body, I take a shower or I'm like, oh, I got to wash my hair. Like, it's like, there's all this stuff around mm-hmm. like this water mm-hmm. much like the feminine is greatly ignored and i think we're doing the same thing yes. with our grief that it's like oh it's there i know it's there to deal with one i want to deal with but the thing is is that it's like you never really want to deal with it no and and we never again we don't realize that it's a sacred thing right yeah we we have we are indoctrinated into this this system you know this capitalist system which i think i've mentioned on a previous episode that Yuval Harari says you know this is this is the most successful religion of all time it's easy to be an adherent to capitalism because it, in order to be a good capitalist, you just have to buy shit. So we're like, <laughs> we're all really good capitalists. Look at us. Like we're just, it's the easiest religion that we've ever proposed. Right. You know, it's really hard to be a Buddhist or a Christian or a, a Hindu, you know, and be absolutely adhering to the principles and teachings of any of these systems. Capitalism is very simple, right? But in capitalism, capitalism, just like any other religion, has things that it makes sacred. And the primary thing is money. And the secondary thing is material wealth, you know? And Mm -hmm. so 
if we want to change out of that, what are we going to make sacred? And we make something sacred by paying attention to it. So when you wash your hands, pay attention to the water. Tell it how much you are grateful to it for it continuously serving and supporting you. You know, we take these things for granted all the time. And then we're surprised, you know, and, and I mean, we are... We are like children, you know, we are children in terms of our evolutionary sort of process and we can be loved for that. You know, we're just messy, psychotic teenagers sometimes, you know, <laughs> who like should not have been left home alone. <laughs> so we, uh, we're learning how to relate in a mature and conscious way to our world and, and reclamation of these sacred things, you know, I, I, I intend and I believe can be in in this next while the things that bring humanity back together. We all need water. We all need air. We all need connection to the earth, right? And and despite our differences, like those things are irrefutable truths. And so can we get connected back into something that is that stable as, you know, a sense of ground, you know, and the, and the paradox of of seeking this kind of ground is that we're seeking it so that we can move into groundlessness, into this death process well, right? But we are we are warriors preparing for the ultimate battle, which is, in shamanic terms, the leap into the void, where we go into the not knowing and we don't try to find some way of scrambling for ground, right? But we prepare for that. You know, we ready ourselves for that leap. All of the training of shamanic work is readying yourself for leaping into that unknown. And this is how we find that that's that real ground, right? Is by going, the water loves me and it is supporting me every time I have a drink. Right. I think it's funny because it's like there's this element that we've kind of spoken of before of what would be considered spiritual work or or ritual work even or what I think uh, I certainly thought about shamanic work and I think many people mm-hmm. have which is like this this grand magical kind of experience and I think that it's like you know if you've been to a women's circle or a ceremony and and we can look at the at water and look at the elements as like they're they're big archetypal image but then in every day where it's like you can actually incorporate this magic in your life every day but it doesn't look magic like it's like it doesn't it's not the big magic of ceremony where it's like you know we're calling in all the directions we're calling in all of the elements and and offer me this or give me that and i want healing and receptivity and these are such huge theoretical you know, ideas that are so beautiful, but Mm -hmm. it's also really hard to carry it with you in your daily life. And I feel like that's something I definitely have not thought of before where it's just like, well, how am I actually interacting with not like water, the goddess or this like, you know, archetype, how am I actually interacting with the substance water? And, and why is that less sacred than in a women's circle or in a ceremony or in, you know what I mean? I do. And I really, you know, I, as someone I've hosted and facilitated so many circles and I, they're beautiful and really essential and, and necessary for, um, just even reclaiming or reconnecting with the concept of making something sacred and having ritual and, and ceremony in our lives because we are, we're, we're so void of it in modern society. You know, we just, 
don't have, we, we do not um, acknowledge these, these processes that are happening, you know, even the 28-day the cycle of the moon we're not acknowledging as, as important or something to engage with, right? And we've lost, through that loss of ceremony and ritual, we've lost connection to natural rhythms, right? And we are, we're rhythmical beings. And so I think that the circles and the ceremonies and these, these beautiful rituals that we, we facilitate with, with a great seriousness a lot of the time, you know, are, are necessary, but the movement out of that, of carrying sacredness out of a ritual, so-called ritual space, and into our everyday experience so that when you are brushing your teeth, it is a r- act of ritual. So you realize everything in your life is an act of ritual, you know? I mean, making a meal is an act of ritual. And this is, this is so self-aggrandizing, and, and I'll disclose this to everyone listening because it makes me sound like a total asshole. <laughs> and the Shambhala Buddhism um, uh, teachings, they have this course, and it's called Consciousness in Everyday Life. And it is about, you know, like pulling that that idea of like, you know, yeah, you meditate, you go and you sit down and you're meditating for an hour and that's all sacred. But like, then you walk out and start screaming at your kids, you know, (laughs) you've you've lost that ability to translate those experiences and teachings into your everyday life. So consciousness in everyday life, the acronym is CL. And so when I found out, they call the course CL. (laughs) So when I, when I was at the retreat center, I was doing my internship, I was like, I am so important. Look at me. Everybody's (laughs) learning. And and my name is so special. I'm such an asshole. So I promise I have actually let go of that. But I think about, you know, that acronym a lot of like, and I'll use ceremony in everyday life. Mm. And, and, you know, sacredness, if I wanted to spell my name with a, an S, but like thinking about how do I make washing the dishes sacred because water is there, you know, mm. and how do I make drinking a glass of water sacred? And, and this, you know, again, this is just the exact poison, you know, in, in, in a nonviolent way, but it's the thing that cracks open the, the, um, mechanisms of capitalism and this system that we've been existing in so that we can get out of of, of this toxic state that we are in right now is is making things sacred you know because right. we don't we don't make like is your body sacred is is the earth is anything sacred except money and material worth and status and those things you know like we are deeply adherent to them and and we need to to shift our awareness and say, okay, if we're existing on this planet for any longer, I mean, Zach Bush maintains that it's we got sixty years until we're extinct if we keep doing what we're doing. Oh, wow. And I don't say that to scare people, and he, I don't think he does either, but just to actually get us to really, truly, again, look and and have a reckoning with what we're doing and not put our heads in the sand and say, okay, just keep going faster and faster and faster and faster and, and somehow things are going to sort themselves out. You know, we need to recalibrate. We need to pause. We need to come into this yin receptivity space and say, okay, where am I placing value? Where am I, you know, what am I deeming to be of value? And and I think the first step is is water, you know, is that is the source of life. It is also the source of purification, of detoxification, of of release. You know, we got a lot of stuff to let go of and grieve, as you said, Allison, you know, and and we're made for this. We can do this. You know, it's going to be hard, but this is this is why we're here, you know, is to do this process. Mm. So I think that, um, yeah, I, in terms of practice, you know, I, 
I suggest to people all the time that if you can be near water and actually talk to the water and close your eyes and imagine yourself as a body of water, you know, you are a body of water, you are predominantly water, you know, and, and ask it to remind you to, um, allow these, these sadnesses and these grieving experiences that have gone unprocessed in your own life to come up to the surface so that you can, can view them, relate to them, you know, release them with the help of this, this elemental force, you know, water, water will help us. And we need to make sure though, that we are hydrated and, and it is essential to, you know, pay attention. Everyone, every person, seriously, that I ever work with, I ask them how much water they drink. The answer is not enough. It's always not enough, you know, and you're like, so if you know that you're not doing enough, you know, like, how is it that you're existing in this state all the time, right? Hold ourselves accountable. We are so good at holding other people accountable right now. We're all looking around in the outside world going, wow, that person needs to be doing that. And they're not, you know, showing up. And it's like, yeah, I'm sure that they have a lot to work on, but what's what's yours? What is within your sphere of influence right now? If you are a politician, mm-hmm. please be a politician and continue influencing in that way. But for most of us, it's it's how are we taking care of our families? How are we taking care of our body? How are we taking care of our space? You know, so the first step is is you know calling ourselves to task. Mm-hmm. We we must um, be warriors, and warriors don't they don't let themselves off the hook, right? And say, oh, I'll drink more water later. You do it now and you do it with consciousness, you know, awareness. The Knowing is an IntelliKey production and was recorded and produced on the traditional unceded territory of the Northern Sukhwapmik people. Music, editing, and production by Brent Morton at Bell Tower Audio. May our hearts and minds remain open. May we meet this day with equanimity and compassion. And may we remember our belonging to this earth, to each other, and to all that is. (laughs) 